charge of the Russian army in Kherson. And uh, then there was an ammo depot, uh, that city 60 kilometers east of uh, Kherson, Novokhovka. Uh, there's like a bridge there and like the dam, the Crimea dam is there. And uh, they blew up the ammo depot there. It was a massive explosion. I mean, it looked like a mushroom cloud, basically. Uh, I did see one last night uh, that Portland had uh, logged in and discussed with us and he was mentioning how uh it basically had gone off the richter scale on all of his audiovisual analysis equipment and uh considering that's what he does for a living that's a pretty big boom yeah definitely i think this this officer strikes really telling too the fact that they did that seems to indicate that there's going to be a there that's big moves like you don't kill officers before you plan to make your move in my in my understanding right like you don't want to give them time to re restructure everything. You want to kill the officers and then hit them. Uh, have you seen this uh, website that John shared with a couple of people that's tracking how recently a Russian senior officer was killed? No. Average time between senior officer deaths since February 24th is 13.4 hours per officer. Average time between senior officer deaths this month is 22 Point one hour. Uh, it's been one day since the last senior Russian officer was killed, and I guess that's just because the clock rolled over. Yeah, it's Damn. nuts. Like profile of all these guys, basically. I've been trying to think of a historical analogy, and I think Chuck finally found it. He said they're going through generals at a Civil War level burn rate, like the U.S. Civil War. Th they lost generals this often because, like, you know, you just you had to be on the ground and like tell your guys they'd get shot or hit by cannons or whatever. Uh, you know, so I think that that's that's the level of like officer death we're talking about here. Uh, it's it's really uh, unprecedented in modern warfare. I, yeah, I, it's unbelievable. They've lost more people in four months than we lost in 20 years in two wars. But uh, now that we got some people filed back in, Slava, I'm kind of curious, how, how are all the HIMARS strikes being covered in the Ukrainian media, right? Like in the U.S. media, I mean, the HIMARS memes have been beautiful. Uh, there's lots of joking, lots of, uh, you know, uh, just general uh, excitement around the HIMARS strikes. What's the Ukrainian media like? Slava uh, Ukraini. Here in Slava. So, yes, uh, good question. So, uh, as you all know, uh, we are really happy from HIMARS and what HIMARS is doing in Ukraine. It's re really uplifting. Uh, actually, not a lot of the discussion about the HIMARS in the Ukrainian informational uh, uh, marathon. It still is about like a Ukraine, not just about just uh, HIMARS, because it's like a HIMARS gives this like a better better grasp in this war for Ukrainians, uh, but uh, for just in complete picture, it's helping us, but it's not just HIMARS. So it's, there is no so big focus shift to the HIMARS, what I, what I hear. But what we know from Twitter, um, it's a lot of the support for HIMARS. I like it really, really, really much because he gives this interesting perspective that um, as HIMARS started to be used in Ukraine, it was a, like a big change. And yes, it gives Ukrainians big, uh, like a push, but still uh, in the marathon, what I'm hearing, it's like, a, 
it's all forces that should work all together. It's not just one type of weapon that decides how it's gonna uh, how it's gonna be progressed. So uh, high Mars is good, but it's not all the thank thanking to the high Mars, but all support is appreciated. Uh, also, I am just making some note about some stories because like for example uh, in Ukrainian Marathon who also runs 24-7 informational space it's a lot of the stories of the Ukrainians it's like it was a lot of the stories from the Kharkiv where uh, people died uh, um, I will maybe mention uh, short shortly now it was story about uh, uh, father and the son who traveled uh, in the um, just regular travel in the uh, car they prepared to uh, son was 17 year old he uh, was preparing to um, his uh, future education and um, shelling was tracked and he they, they both died it's like a, a we have this like a informational space it's uh, like informing people that was really happening but there is no like uh, always military stuff like uh, I hear in Walter report but it's like a bit different it's like a more a hum human uh, interaction human touch but also we have this military reports but it's not like here because what I'm really thankful for that uh, on the Walter report I hear in a lot of detailed uh, explanation as I'm a not military and really don't know this difference between one rocket and other missiles I don't really know but in your Ukrainian space it's not about this uh, all military stuff mostly just reports of what happened who uh, how many died how many injured uh, what uh, um, what city was uh, re released by Ukrainian forces is like a, this different informational space. So thank you for the question. So yeah, thank you, Slav. I think so, so. If I understood correctly, you're saying that um, there is a noticeable change. Like morale is high. There's maybe some more optimism about the war as a result of the recent strikes. But the focus isn't on HIMARS specifically. It's more just a general sense that the war is going better. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. It's not just high Mars like we see on Twitter, but it's give, give this help. You summarize completely well. Thank, Thank you. you, Slava. Uh, I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Uh, and next, oh, actually, uh, I guess Heliana and Ryan are hosts. So back to you, Ryan. <laughs> You're good, though. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Liberal or Linda were next. Linda was next. Yep, Linda. Linda go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm, um, I'm loving hearing about these uh, big boomers that are going off because um, it gives me hope. Um, and with regard to that, um, I think it gives a whole new meaning to that derogatory frame, uh, um, um, frame, um, uh, okay, boomers, right? <laughs> so, there's, okay. There's nothing derogatory about boomers. They need more <laughs> boomers sooner. <laughs> I are one, yeah. <laughs> um, but my real thing, and I, you know, I, don't at this point in time I don't think the knowledge is available but my perennial question uh, that is um, I presume unknowable at this point in time or even at a point where um, um, 
a good approximation is available yet. But um, as each of these big targets, strategic targets are going down, uh, I have, so there's, you know, X number of rockets going off that takes out, you know, this um, ammo depot or fuel depot or whatever, whatever. Um, the hard numbers are... Eight. There's eight on a high mars, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they can um, reload in about five minutes. So it's really, you know, 16, depending on how many times you want to reload. Sorry, okay. go ahead. Okay. Yeah. But, but as far as, but as far as the, uh, the targets that are, uh, that are destroyed, um, I, I, my perennial question is what percentage of that is of the total? So in other words, if there's, you know, three of them or four of them that have gone down the last uh, big ones, big targets that have, that have succumbed in the last couple of days, um, what, what percentage of that is the total? Is that, you know, like 5%, 50%? Um, I haven't seen any official estimates yeah. regarding that. Um, I'm sure it's a very tightly held kept state secret uh, on both sides. Obviously uh, yeah. the Ukrainians and some of their allies have very good intelligence on where the big ones have been hidden. Um, but there was okay. evidence indicating that the Russians had been stockpiling weapons inside the borders of Ukraine for yep. years leading up to their invasion in February. So, ah, uh, ah, uh, okay. I, I've sort of uh, asked this question from a few different angles, so I'll try to give you maybe a few different ways to sort of conceptualize it. Um, so the way Gurney sort of thinks about it, when I've asked him, um, he's he sort of has explained it more as a question of opportunity costs, right? So. These ammunition depots they're using, they're, um, they're like all, they're, they weren't originally built as ammunition depots. They're like factories or, you know, train stations or, you know, stadiums or expo centers. You know, they're, they're, they're not built for the purpose of storing ammunition. They've been chosen and they've mainly been chosen because of their convenient access to railheads, right? Convenient access to where the rail, the rail lines are. Yeah. Um, and also because maybe they've got good equipment to help unload or load stuff. So um, I would guess that they've chosen the best sites possible initially, right? They've chosen the best building closest to the railhead that is the easiest for them to access for their purposes. So now that's blown up. And when these buildings get blown up in these explosions, like they're gone. Like uh, we joke, you know, they're in, they're in orbit now, right? Uh, uh, but really, it's just a, a big smoking crater so that means now they have to choose a different site for that same purpose and what that means is they've now probably are choosing a less desirable site right they're probably choosing one maybe a little further from the rail track or maybe a little further from the front line or maybe a little smaller or less equipment something like that right so all these things um it's maybe not as useful to think about it in terms of like they'll all be gone at some point but maybe more useful to think about it in terms of their their most ideal places to do this type of work are disappearing slowly and they have to have less desirable options. And in addition to that, there's probably other facilities that are close by, but they're using those to repair tanks or to, you know, do other things. So there's a lot of opportunity costs that go into each ammunition depot that blows up. Um, the second way I would look at it is maybe the way Portland does. Uh, Portland did a bunch of math, and I don't know where he came up with this figure, but he said something to the effect of, if we look at how many shells the Russians are shooting a day, and I look at how big these explosions are, and again, this is just sort of some Portland math. It could be very wrong. Like, he's not really, he doesn't have enough data to really, like, know this for sure, but he's just giving a broad, like, sense here. Um, he said, maybe, like, we're looking at 20 to 25% of, like, Russian ammo uh, capability blown up 
or you know Russian ammo potential in terms of how much they're using. Um, and if we increase the number of HIMARS, we could maybe get that up to half or a little more than half. So that that's maybe those are maybe two separate ways to look at it. They're kind of different ways, but that's like what I I'm paraphrasing Portland and Gurney. Maybe those are kind of two frameworks to look at. Does that help, Linda? Uh, well, yeah, and I'm I'm surprised actually that Portland uh, was able to be that specific, but uh, that actually gives me hope. Um, but my frame um, is is a little bit different than that. In that, uh, what I'm what I would like to know, which I'm sure isn't known yet, is um, uh, how how much closer, how how quickly, and you know how close are we. And how how rapidly are are we reaching um, a tipping point where Russia is incapable of waging war anymore? So um, you know, so the the real numbers, you know, are you know this explosion, that explosion, etc. Uh, and then you know another one is another you know another way of looking at it is what percentage of the whole is that? But then the follow-on question of that is. Um, how close does that get us to a tipping point where Russia is incapacitated? Because that's the that's going to be the real measure of whether or not they can continue the war. So that's how I'm. Yeah. Thinking. Good I question. Need to correct ahead. myself really quick. There are six tubes on a high Mars launcher, not eight. So just so we're not spreading bad information and uh, for the reputation of the Walter report, I need to correct myself. Half a dozen at a time with pinpoint accuracy into the space, into a space the size of a parking spot in a parking lot. Uh, yeah, I think Portland was saying like one of these buildings, right? There were maybe three floors and like they shot it into the building and it got to the second floor and then they detonated. I'm not entirely sure I heard that right. But if that's true, like, whoa. Yeah. So and that's an individual instance. And I and so. Any every individual instance is good, and um, and how much does every ins individual instance um, equate to the disability of the Russians to continue waging war? So that's my overarching question, and I'm quite sure that if that those approximations are known, it would be uh, by people who are not sharing it on Twitter. But that exactly and. Oh, I can't. Not. I can't give you a number, and I wouldn't even presume to estimate. Um, Russia may have hundreds of depots, but I think we can rest assured that the the most important ones on the list have already been knocked out of commission. Um, that's that's as good. A, no, as or, a, a no. bit of context, uh, Russia and Putin just announced that they were going to be taking some sort of uh, break or intermission and. Essentially, they were trying to threaten that uh, they were just, you know, timing out and would be back for round two. And while they were supposed to be reorganizing and regrouping, uh, Ukraine went on the offensive and now Russia is scrambling. Uh, there's been a whole lot of chatter on Telegram channels in the last 12 hours that would indicate that Russians are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Uh, People are terrified. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a great question, Linda. It's really hard to say right now because we haven't seen yet Ukraine actually engage in a true counterattack. We've seen a very cautious, steady uh, counterattack in, in the south in Kherson area, uh, one village at a time, but not really true combined arms warfare. 
pretty soon, I think we can expect to see something big in Kherson. We don't, I, I doubt that we would see this level of targeted strikes in Kherson and in the south in terms of killing that command post and in terms of killing the ammo depots, unless they had a big plan pretty soon, I would guess within the week, but I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I can't speak for them. And of course, uh, we're, we're not, we don't want to know because we want them to succeed at their plan first. Then we, then we'll know all about it anyway. Um, but that said, I think the real question is going to be how how hard can Ukraine punch back? How hard is their combined arms uh, uh, attack? You know, particularly in the south. But I think this will give us some indication of how the re- this next phase of the war will go. Right now, we're in kind of a, a liminal or like a transitional phase between this period where. You know, it was more or less static. It was a kind of a small, it was a grind in the Donbass and in the South for both sides, almost like World War One style. Um, and now we're moving into a phase where Russia doesn't have the logistical capability to sustain that. And we're now going to probably move into a new phase, as we've been discussing here, where Ukraine is going to be on the attack. They're going to be using tanks. They're going to be using planes. They're going to be using artillery. They're going to be using infantry. And they're going to be moving forward. Now, we've heard some anecdotal information about some Ukrainian combined arms offensives, particularly in the Izum area. They've sort of experimented with it and According to their reports, they were wildly successful. They melted the Russians. They just overran them. They overran the first trench. And if you might know, there are these layers of trenches, right? So they overran the first trench. They overran the second trench. And before they could overrun the third trench, they said, eh, we better stop. Like, we don't want to overextend here because that's what the Russians do. You know, they get further and further ahead, but they keep getting killed and exhausted. And then Ukraine counterattacks. And then they're back where, where they started, right? Just like World War One. So, um I think that it's a great question, Linda. I think we have to wait until we see what happens in Kherson. And I think if if the Russian army just melts away and and kind of folds um, at the first sign of a, a true Ukrainian combined arms attack, I think that probably this war will will go pretty quick. If instead we see uh, maybe a slower or uh, maybe a less decisive combined arms attack from Ukraine, it might take a little longer to dislodge the Russians from their defenses. That's kind of my broad theory. Does that help at all, Linda? Yeah, it actually gives me uh, quite a bit of hope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not looking for hard answers, but I'm looking for hope. And even though I want to know more, I also realize that I'm not privy to knowing more, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, you give me hope. And I'm and I'm hoping that um, the Ukrainians have now enough equipment to be able to do that in order to make it as quick as quick as possible to reach to reach that point as quickly as possible rather than taking longer so anyway thank you thank you very much linda we hope so too you know uh, we haven't really seen ukraine use their tanks in numbers yet you know they have a lot of them um we haven't seen them used in numbers uh we know that they've been getting a lot of infantry fighting vehicles and they have some of their own these uh, btr3s which are quite good um and of course the ukrainian air force still exists it's still in operation so they have the equipment but they have to get it right. They can't be like Russia, right? If Russia loses 500 tanks, they go, oh, well, you know, go to the depot, you know, 
uh, find 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 me 500 more somewhere in Russia, right? That's kind of seems to be their attitude. But Ukraine, on the other hand, has to be very careful. They get basically one shot at this, and they have to get it right the first time. Unlike Russia, that fails nine times, but maybe succeeds the tenth time when they take a village and they lose a thousand guys, but they've got a thousand more. That's kind of their attitude. So very different philosophy, and that's why we've seen uh, Ukraine be so patient um, in the south. So I've been rambling quite a bit. Uh, I'll go back to you, Ryan. I was just sharing a little bit of hope on uh, Supernova, Supernova Kahovka in the net. A huge boom, man. That's like, that's going to be, I mean, that's a, that's going to be immortal on the internet, I think. Yeah, there are some aftermath pictures uh, already available, and there's not much left. Whoever was in charge of guarding that ammunition depot never even knew what happened. He's not going to be in the third session war. Well, Slava, uh, I, I guess... I, I've been very curious about it. Uh, I heard that you went you went into another space recently to have a little talk with some of the people there, Slava. And I'm just wondering if you could share any of your experience from from that time. Slava Ukraini. Here I'm Slava. It was a really great question. It is really great question from you. Uh, exactly. I would like to explain what happened thank you for the for that you asked this so yes um for me as ukrainians i uh, maybe for it's gonna be two months uh, when i joined this space and i discovered spaces discovered clubhouse and for me it was really it, it was a reason for me uh, why i joined this space uh, because it's really important for me to look at even on myself on the, the Ukraine uh, from outside, because I, as I live in Ukraine, um, I feed uh, constantly Ukrainian space, uh, meaning Ukrainian informational space, the marathon. Also, I was watching a lot of the Ukrainian bloggers, and it uh, like. Um, not one-sided, but it's true, but it's all about Ukraine and Ukrainians and what is happening inside Ukraine. And for me, uh, as I bit was like a Western-focused uh, person, I started to look uh, how to like, to like uh, how, to, how it looks from outside. So I joined the Twitter, uh, started to watch some other YouTubers, maybe some informational um channels and it's really a different picture not uh, from like i see inside inside ukraine and also it was really important for me to understand uh, because uh, from the first uh, months of this war to, to, uh, to 2022 uh, ukrainians all ukrainians in ukraine uh, wanted to understand what happened uh, meaning, wh what's the reason that uh, Russians uh, so hate us? For us, it was really su surprising because we all time this live li live in Ukraine, even uh, from 2014 when war the war started. We don't really uh, was thinking about Russians and Russia. What is happening there? But what we noticed. 2022 that they was they all prepared all this time to hate ukrainians and 
I uh, started to, to discover and started to visit uh, because for me I never Russian culture Russian mir it's it's not working for me I never interested into this and don't like Russian literature the Russian movies TV show I actually 95% of my life uh, for past uh, maybe 10 years is uh, in English language. I mean, reading a lot, uh, making conversation uh, um, in English, but um, never Russian. Russian is really not a lot. And for me, it was really interesting to feel, to hear what is happening in the uh, Russian side. And I started to jump uh, other spaces, other clubhouse rooms, because it's like a, I would like to understand what really Russians feel, what what the reason for this, uh, and how they react. So, uh, first impression, uh, it was uh, space uh, complete um, of the Russian propaganda, and as you see my um, bio and when you see my uh, uh, profile pic you see a flag you see signia trizup uh, trident it's all uh, official ukrainian uh, symbols so it's not like some um, propaganda it's official signals uh, signs and it was a right reaction on this on flag on this trident and actually, um, uh, all, all this Russian propaganda tried to offend me, but it's not working on me. I have no ego, so you cannot offend me. Any attacks? Is so Slava, just me. just for our audience, yes. real quick. So so Slava went into like a pro-Russian like space, like like our space, but it's pro-Russian. And by the way, guys, uh, they get like twenty viewers at a time, and uh, their topics are dumb, and they talk, they complain about us a lot. Uh, it sucks. Uh, their space sucks, and we absolutely want to tell you: don't go there, don't mess with them, don't give them traffic. Uh, we don't we don't want to interact with them in any way. Go ahead, Ryan. No, go ahead. You're fine. I was laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so Slava went in, and I'm just sort of trying to paint a picture for our audience here. So Slava went into this space, and as he said, he's got a trident on. His name is Slava Ukraini. Uh, so how did how did they greet you, Slava? Did they say, welcome to our space? What did they say? Did they call you a name? What did they do? Oh, it, it, it's it not even started. As we know, it's a great word. It's not even started. So the uh, problem with this, it's not was... Uh, when uh, I this few days ago, uh, it's not the first time. I was visited few uh, maybe a week ago, and this I'm pushing uh, my request. They totally ignore it. They afraid of me. Don't want to give me even chance to say. Uh, and they uh, DMs completely closed. I cannot wrote them, so I have no chance to interact with them. And they, uh, while, while I still in the room and uh, constantly hitting uh, uh, mic, they just ignore it and uh, uh, making laugh of me. But they cannot offend me. It's not working on me. So it was funny for me that they afraid even just give this uh, um, chance to talk. But last time I went, and even before they ch uh, to give me a mic, they um, prepared the room. They made the uh, uh, official, uh, official, uh, official announcement that 
There is a room, Ukrainian nationalist, nationalist, not, not Nazi. And they still, um, still promoting it, preparing, and then give me a mic that uh, they like, um, they, this is a good room, but they prepare not to interrupt. In all time, they offended me to go, go in this uh, Russian propaganda. And for me, it's just funny when they constantly bring in this uh, stuff, they um, uh, complete Russian, Russian, Russian propaganda. And for me, it's really strange that people living in the United States, Germany, other countries, some was some not some democratic countries, and still just spreading this propaganda and constantly trying to offend me. And uh, it's funny for me. I just uh, try try to talk my speech. Uh, meaning, I talk what I know. I do not push some propaganda, but they still all repeating this old stuff for us. And it really was eye opening for me. They still lives in the past. Ukrainian all moved on. They still, but but they still live in this past history. And for me, it's like like a I feel bad for them because uh, um, I felt this um, hatred towards Ukrainians, this uh, fake reality they build uh, build it in their heads. But uh, I just I just wanted to feel uh, is is there any danger from them if, for example, for uh, if I met them for accident on the street, let's say in the U.S. or maybe in Germany. But it's just like propaganda. They believe it, but they think they harm us. But Russian propaganda in the Russia is dangerous. They really believe it. And uh, what we know, soldiers just brutal. Russia is brutal with the Ukrainians. So is it dangerous? For me, it's really um, great experience. I would just say I wanted to experience because I live in the west of Ukraine. I don't have it. Uh, don't have it much of this uh, hatred. I to constantly tune to uh, good channels. Meaning, I listen uh, Western culture. For me, it's okay. But when this sudden hatred, it's really interesting because uh, Ukrainians was not prepared to this. What happened in this uh, uh, year? This war. It was what happened. The butcher. It absolutely for us it was really crazy. No one was uh, understood that it is possible in this twenty-first um, uh, uh, century. It's really interesting for, for me. It was really to experience. Uh, maybe is it my uh, uh, yeah, how to say? Uh, is it my Russia's vaccine is working? And it's working fine. So I prepared for the against this rushes. So it's not, I cannot be offended. And I now sure that I still Ukrainian, clear Ukrainian. Thank you. Thank you, Slava. That was an excellent uh, summary of your your time there. Uh, I guess my last question to you would be like, did you, did you get the sense that the Americans and maybe the Germans or the Europeans on the space, are they particularly informed o about Russia? Like, do they know Russian language? Do they know anything about Russian culture? Like, do you get the sense they understand Russia or they're just m grossly misinformed about, about Russia and Ukraine? Go ahead. Um, so, yes, good question. So what I noticed uh, that this is a small, really small, small, really, really small group of people. 
and I think they are a bit uh, uh, not healthy, maybe damaged because what they constantly repeating, they're not thinking about what they're repeating, they're just repeating the same thing about Bandera. For us, it's just funny. When they bring Bandera, it's like a Bandera on each street, on any corner. For us, it's just funny. You can, if you won't find Bandera picture, you cannot find it in Ukraine. You, you have to go into museum, museum to find picture of Bandera. You know Bandera, Bandera is our hero, but they just have this, they really misinformed. They don't have a lot of information. And it's what I noticed, it's just small group of people. They are poor. They believe some Russian propaganda. They absolutely have not enough information. And they just like feeding each other, constantly stuck in this loop uh, to hate Ukrainians. But they no, they no, do not have uh, good arguments that Ukrainians like are bad. They, they just hating. They find reason to hate us, but they really harmless. This meaning this uh, small some people, and I know this happens. So they poor people. They need help. So hope they find it. Thank you. Thank you, Slava. Uh, yeah, so I think that's uh, a good good summation. Uh, so we'll go to hands now. Uh, thank you again, Slava, for explaining uh, the situation. And yeah, I find them very interesting as a group as well. Um, it's, again, we don't want to, uh, we don't want you guys interacting with them uh, if possible. Like, uh, you know, they, they've kind of tried to start stuff with us. I Again, I, I avoid all this drama. So, uh, you know, don't, I'm not the best source for it. Go ahead. Actually, actually, to add this, uh, actually, uh, Joseph, Joseph is right. So you should, what you should understand. As Ukrainian, I am prepared, uh, meaning I am already vaccine, vaccinated against this. You cannot offend me. You cannot uh, persuade me to switch to believe that Russians are better or they good, or maybe like a Boris said uh, hour ago that some good Russian escaping. It's all, um, it's, they're not gonna change. What I say to you, Ukrainians don't need uh, to be convinced, convinced uh, to something new. Uh, meaning Ukrainians, real Ukrainians, are not gonna listen to the Russian. We know our way. So, uh, it's important to understand for not prepared people. Like uh, Western people, I had some messages when I was in this room. I get um, direct messages that some people are even sick being in this space. But for me, it's like a great experience to understand what really happened. It's for me, it's really no, no, and uh, I'm knowledgeable. So um, I do not recommend anyone to go into this room because it's damaging to your like uh, mental health. For me, it's, uh, I'm prepared, so I have completely clear, I mean, uh, for me, it's completely harmless. So, thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you, Slava. And yeah, just, and, and also in terms of just broadly, like, we don't want to give them traffic, we don't really want to give them attention. If we go start a fight in there, it's going to cause a spectacle, it's going to drive, you know, eyeballs to them, like, there's, we just don't, we don't really want it. 
um, any drama between us and some other Twitter space. It's just not part of our mission at all. So, you know, um, you guys are all free human beings. You know, I can't tell you what to do, but we're just saying the Walter Report's official stance on this sort of drama uh, or, or, you know, starting stuff with other channels or, or people is, uh, you know, just just leave it alone. We're, we're focused on our mission here. Uh, talk about the Russian invasion, the genocide of Ukrainians, uh, you know, s- uh, spread word the word about uh, things like Maria Aid and uh, try to uh, get accurate information out there to people. But uh, yeah, like Slava said, he's he's uh, clearly uh, knows a lot about this stuff. He's he's very well versed in Russian disinformation. And, you know, he he's going just like Mahdi, you know, reads all the Russian uh, far right telegram accounts. And so we don't have to listen to all that racist garbage. Uh, you know, Slava's doing the, the service to us of going to these spaces and talking to these people. And um, I think Slava, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think a recording exists. So we'll try to get it your way. Uh, I think someone did record some of your interactions. So if there's any highlights, maybe we can uh, get some of those back. Go ahead, Slava. It's good. It's good that someone recorded because uh, for me, I'm not going into this room to fight and do not go into convince someone. I just uh, listen to what's happening. I, uh, for me, it's really important how they react. The re- reaction was really clear. They hate me. They provide some arguments, but for me, it's like a reaction in showing how they feel and uh, do they really mean what they say. And for me, in this room particularly, it was harmless. And, uh, and when I visited some um, Russian room, meaning only a Russian who lives in the Russia, it's, it was similar situation. They hate, you, you got kicked out uh, sometimes Right away, I ha- also have this trident and the flag and bio and kick out just in seconds. They don't want you, absolutely don't want to even see you. It's uh, hard, hard in their eyes. They don't want to look at it. It's really important. It, it's all in their minds. But for me, it's really showing that uh, real people, how they react. So it's for me, it's really, uh, I learned a lot. So. I keep like alone because I, I don't like to be like a one-sided. I Ukrainian, I for Ukraine, but uh, like to see how it looks from outside. So thank you. Thank you, Slava. Yeah. So if you know if Slava ever goes on one of these spaces, instead of uh, you know going over there and and you know interacting with them. We'll have Slava come on. He'll talk about it. Maybe if we get a good recording of some some interaction, we can play it or something. But yeah, so uh, this is maybe part of uh, Slava's uh, uh, activities, right? He he keeps track of the Ukrainian news. He does some other stuff, and maybe this is this is another uh, little thing he'll keep us posted on what his interactions with the various uh, you know pro-Russian groups uh, on on Twitter. So again, we don't want to feed any traffic to any of these people or any of these groups. We don't want to start any drama. Um, that's not really our mission here. So we're this isn't the purpose. Of the segment um, to engage with them in any way, but I just wanted to bring everyone's attention to this little uh, uh, episode and, and uh, maybe give some education to our viewers or our listeners about it. So thank you so much, Slava. And with that, we'll go to Hans. Uh, Herm, go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um, I need to make a confession. I did the same thing. I ended up in one of those little spaces with about 20 people. Um, they are pro Russian from all over the Western world. But there's always like, hmm, I would say three, four um, Russians in there. There's usually the language is still English. And I don't interact with any of that. I just uh, chill out a little bit and listen into, just see what they're about, what, what it just is, what the topics are, and uh, what the, the level of the conversation is. And um, it is, um, 
Um, so people are actually quite well read there. It's mostly literature and some a lot of history. People seem to be obsessed with history and um, like you exactly. know, who really belongs Crimea to and whatever not and Bandera, Bandera, Bandera. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And um, uh, what I noticed um, actually when I went there uh, another day, um, just because my water report was a bit low and want a little bit of excitement and just click in and just put the phone away on the charger. And then he had, oh, by the way, there is some account from the water report over here listening in. So that I, for some reason, I was known. I don't know why. I mean, I don't, I'm not really contributed to the water report. I just um, request speaker once in a while, open my mouse, ask questions, but I'm not really any prominent member here. But for some reason, they knew me. That was quite funny, I believe. Um, and yeah, again, I just uh, just hang in there. So after they identified me, there there was a, um, a very intense and very detailed description why Ukrainians are all Nazis. It was pointed out to everybody, so I can listen. Um, then, like the major host and co-host, were really obsessed with putting all the information out and presented to me. I didn't react to that and. That's just the usually um, crap that they um, tell uh, everywhere. You see it from tweets if you follow them. Um, but I just want to leave one anecdote here. Um, so at one time when, when I had that space on, there was a conversation on about all kind of weird things. So they had the book club going on with some um, a book about how beautiful Russian culture is and so on, and that drifted into a, a debate that ended up something like, um, a conversation that ended up in something like, uh, did you guys know that all those uh, homosexuals are actually Nazis because they need uniforms for their sex games? And that's at that point I had to really um, leave that space because it was a little bit too much for me. But um, uh, yeah, recommendation, yeah. Um, if if you want to do it yourself and uh, listen in, just to, to know what other people are about, um, uh, I, I can recommend it to do that, but uh, I cannot recommend to really interact with any of that. That is uh, not helpful for anybody. I mean, you, you don't get to convince uh, anybody over there that what really is happening like you could come on and water report and convince us that Russia is actually doing mankind a favor by invading Ukraine. That's simply not going to happen. You'll quickly see the caliber of conversation is never nearly as well-rounded as something you would hear here on the Walter Report. Uh, I've listened to one or two, and I listened to a couple of other spaces, uh, but I was not at all interested in spaces prior to uh, the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, let's go to some hands. I don't know who was next, Joseph. Did you have an, have an order? I think it's Liberal Esperanza. Uh, Doman, go ahead. I the Peace for Ukraine was on for the longest, but I meant Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so Peace I for Ukraine, Liberal Esperanza. Peace for Ukraine, go ahead. Was that Liberal or... Oh, sorry. Um, Peace for Ukraine well. first. Sorry, Liberal, my mistake. Peace for Ukraine, then Liberal. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Liberal. Uh, I'll try not to take too long, although I do have um, some story to to share that I experienced myself in this space in the very first weeks I've joined, and this I think uh, it was late March, early April, something like that, uh, or maybe it was late April. I think it was the third week of April that I've joined that I discovered the space uh, by mere accident, and I'm ever so grateful, and I thank you so much all the hosts and speakers that bring so much clarity, explanations, information, 
in all the guests, the great special guests, really, this is a wonderful space. But on to the two pieces of information that I would like to share, which are um, basically since the very early days of this invasion, we watched um, immediately masses of people in Ukraine, outside Ukraine, protesting uh, against the war and to stop it. We also watched a few manifestations in Russia about it. We also watched that when IKEA announced uh, that they were closing the store, everyone stormed in the store to buy furniture instead of being outside the hundreds, thousands of people that went to buy furniture. They did not went outside to protest against the war. They went, they were concerned about not having furniture. They were not concerned about human lives. They were not concerned that their country was illegally invading another sovereign country. That's my first piece of observation for everyone who is Western or is far away or has not lived through the horrors of Soviet occupation and through the hundreds of years of before Soviet uh, and all Russian horrors that have been committed across hundreds of years. That is my first piece of information. My second piece of information is something that I personally lived through in this space, which is, it was late at night, there was a young Russian that uh, escaped to, it's not escaped, but in the very first days of the illegal invasion, went to Jordan. This young person basically went on rambling um, first that, uh, yes, everyone hates Putin in Russia, and uh, yes, but there's nothing they can do, they cannot go outside because then they get arrested, but everyone hates Putin, uh, and uh, and uh, the poor of them, what can they do? So they have to escape, they have to go away. Um, it's very difficult, you have to understand, and they are now, what can they do for a job? So basically, the same person spent like 10, 15 minutes complaining and feeling sorry about himself. And we had, at the same time, someone, I think, from... Kiev or from Lviv, who basically said, well, I I did not escape. I That person was from Donbass. They, he went to Kiev or to Lviv and he said, no, I did not went out from the country. He could not uh, serve in the military or in the army for some physical condition. But he said, I did not went away from my country. Uh, I want to stay because I want to work. Uh, pay my taxes here to help my country. It's just me, my cat and my bicycle. And I want to, to help. I want to contribute to, to the effort to, to go to, uh, to help in the restaurant, to, to make food uh, to, to people who need it. Uh, and, um, and he actually uh, was um, compassionate about this young Russian situation meaning um, it's not easy because they lived through this propaganda for so many years, for hundreds of years. It's not easy for them to escape this, um, uh, this oppression and this brainwashing 
they live through it and and that's the way they stand so and that young russian had no words of feeling sorry of apologizing even of recognizing that his country was invading was committing awful awful war crimes so it tells you this story why i'm telling the story being so long and i'm sorry uh, liberal and everyone for taking so much time in this space my conclusion of both events and it was already before I, it was already very clear in my mind and i did not grow up close uh, to any eastern country uh, i actually live in the most was born and raised in the most western country of the continental europe which is portugal but it's very clear in my mind it's very black and white all this it, it doesn't need explanation on on the night of the 23rd february to 24th february the first strike the very first strikes went into civil structure this was already wrong in 2014 was already wrong so if people are trying to be apologists or understanding or whatever they cannot see what is they are still blurred in their minds they are, they still do not see what is happening here this is a a, a, lust, a struggle for existence so ukraine does need our help and our full unconditional support there is no what about it, we are no longer there it should have never been even there but what i wanted to say is to and to conclude is the difference between the two mentalities we have one country that only aspires for peace for freedom for democracy to build and live with their families to be educated to work when we have on so a people of light a people of hope a people of of friendship of solidarity that is fighting for its own existence against dark ruin corrupt souls who only feel sorry about themselves who are narcissistic so if anyone has doubt please make your choice look at the evidence look at what's happening do not even hesitate for one second that the right correct just choice is ukraine so we have to stand up for it we have to continue to fight disinformation to fight propaganda to spread the world among our friends our family our colleagues to continue to stand for ukraine and continue to listen to walter report to spread the good word and donate to maria thank you Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. You're absolutely right. It's a, it's very simple. It's right versus wrong. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, Liberal, go ahead. Thanks, Joseph. Um, that was very poignant, and it's hard to follow up on that. I want to say Peace for Ukraine. I agree with you 110%. Um, I was uh, interacting with Portland on DMs, and uh, we were talking about things that go boom, and I think he wanted to uh, come up. Maybe he has something to offer. I haven't um, seen anything uh, essentially, you know, within recent memory that I need to talk about, but I think uh, maybe Portland wants to come up. And uh, Doman, I see you. And I've carried um, the space over, not too many times, but the transfer of, uh, you know, the U.S. continent 
to Europe and you always come charging through like the cavalry. So, uh, Doman, if you're there and you can hear me, I appreciate everything you do, brother. Doman's our rock. Doman is here. Doman is here. Because it's the time. <laughs> we are on time. Doman, shall it's we time Mars the clock, Axel. <laughs> I know. You have no clock, Joseph. <laughs> that no, Joseph is like 24-7. I don't know when he sleeps or how he... Like, I, I log in at, like, 2 o'clock, and it's Joseph. And then, like, 6 o'clock, and Joseph's still there. And it's, like, 9 o'clock, and he's still there and sharp. And... Until tax season, I'm in it to win it, you guys. <laughs> Slava Ukraine. Slava. All right. Well, thank you, Portland. Uh, I don't know. Liberal said you might have something to add here. Uh, did you want to Did you want to share something about a boom? Uh, yeah. So, um I that this one is kind of interesting because this is the first of the really big uh fir- the first of the really big strikes that I've actually gotten to look at from multiple different angles from wildly different uh distances away and you can use um you can use those multiple angles and multiple distances to get a much, much better idea of how big a really big boom actually is. Uh, You will recall the one about two days ago, I said, I I wound up having to say, well, more than 70 tons, because, you know, I only got one angle on it that was really solid that I could get measurements from. This time I got seven different angles from between 3.5 and 15.5 kilometers and i was able to to do some uh fairly elaborate math to figure out what we were actually looking at and this one needs to go down as the biggest boom of the war this was somewhere between 150 and 200 tons of high explosive so um if the information that i'm reading is correct this was essentially the entire stock of S-300, S-400 missiles for the southern theater of the war. Uh, Russia does not have any reloads, and we don't know how many of those reloaders also got taken out, but it wasn't a small number. What also got trashed was 50 fuel trucks. Like, I, I don't know why you would put 50 fuel trucks next to the most explosive uh, stockpile in your entire area of operations, but that is apparently a thing that the Russians did. So given that Ukraine has announced that it intends to imminently launch an offensive in the South, and we have seen in the last... Oh, four days. Um, The three biggest strikes of the war and the systematic destruction of um, a divisional command post, an army group command post, uh, and at least three battalion command posts. We haven't seen any brigade command posts going. I think the Ukrainians may be inclined to push that timetable up if that isn't already the plan. 
Thank you, Portland. And uh, yeah, sorry if anyone uh, had any comments about our previous discussion. Uh, Esperanza, did you want to maybe uh, uh, follow up on that? Um, no, I think the, the, the subject now discusses much more important than the thing I wanted to uh, chime in on. So uh, just uh, I, I think I'll leave it like, like that. Okay, thank you. Then we'll go to Adrian. Maybe Adrian has a quick point on uh, what we were previously discussing. Go ahead. Uh, just a very short, short point, because I want to ask Portland something, because this is more important. Well, when it comes to people uh, in these spaces, uh, especially people from the West who are uh, vehemently anti-Ukrainian and uh, have a very poor reading of history and facts and uh, what uh, essentially means to be a decent human being, I think uh, if you want to engage with them for entertainment value, fine, but ultimately they are people with mental illness who are in complete denial and uh, people with mental illness should only be engaged with by mental health professionals uh, and by heavy medication. So that's why I don't engage with them mostly. So my question is for Portland. So, uh, I mean, it's almost incredible that uh, they um, took out so many, uh, such a big stockpile of reloads for S300. I know also that uh, they do have uh, more batteries in Crimea. I'm uh, just asking, could you speak to how getting rid of this stockpile makes it uh, easier for the Ukrainian Air Force to operate in a potential offensive? And also taking into account they have other anti-air assets. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So there, there's a couple of layers to this. Um, we're, we're seeing pretty solid systematic efforts from Ukraine 